0: This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with Eric Aylesworth. Eric spent most of his growing up years in Atlanta and attended the Atlanta Institute of Music. After a brief stint on the historic funk and R&B scene in Dayton, Ohio, Eric returned to Atlanta in 2016 and has been building his resume here ever since. During the pandemic, he joined the band Jet Black Roses, which is poised to release some new music this summer and start touring thereafter we would appreciate your support on patreon go to patreon.com working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests think of this as professional development for drummers all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at WorkingDrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our latest Patreon content features former guests, including Ash Sohn, Eric Slick, Joe Bergamini, Nate Felty, and Chuck Palmer talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. There's also a video by me illustrating my favorite warm-up routine, which I've found to be really useful and effective over the years. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So, Eric and I have crossed paths a few times out on the Atlanta scene, and I was always really impressed with his playing. But it was great to finally sit down with him and hear more about what he's made of as a musician and as a person. So, let's get to it with Eric Aylesworth. A lot of my guests have, like my Atlanta guests, have referred to AIM, A-I-M, and for, for those who don't live in Atlanta, it's like Atlanta's Musician's Institute, basically. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's
1: like the Berkeley of Atlanta, I guess. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. So uh, I went there, and like, so I've been with my wife since we were in high school. Oh, wow. And uh, we got married in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, anyways, before that, uh, she got a scholarship to a school up in Ohio. Oh, okay, and so I followed her up there Got and I it. stayed there for like five years.
0: Oh, okay where? so yeah. like did you play up there mm-hmm. where yeah, just bar gigs and you know, what town stuff. was it Dayton. Oh, okay Which was
1: really cool man because uh, that's I don't know if you know, it's the funk capital of the world That's Yeah, kind of where, you know, Ohio players sure. slave lakeside and all those bands are from and it's like isn't Bootsy from there He's from Cincinnati. Okay, right. Yeah on. So but a lot of cool history up there. Yeah,
0: and yeah. I think like do you know Prisca? Yeah, she's. I think she's from there. Really, I think her family still lives there. Yeah, I've played with her a couple of times. Yeah, me yeah. too. Um, so th- that was like that was after Aim. Yeah. So like, that was kind of like in your <laughs> early twenties, sort of like just cutting your teeth on yeah, exactly. <laughs> actual it gigs.
1: Might not have been the smartest move, but you know, I why? Was why like, not? Yeah, I mean, just. Cause I had connections here Mm -hmm. and I didn't know anybody up there. Right. You know what I mean? Right. uh,
0: Had to start from scratch. Starting from scratch. Yeah. But it was cool. Yeah. Did you you get your ass kicked up there by, by groove people?
1: (laughs) I mean a little bit, but I kind of jumped right into that scene. It was really cool. And like, they kind of took me under their wing. Yeah. You know?
0: So this answers one of the questions that I was going to ask you because like, um, when I first, I I met you at a jam session at Boteco. Yeah. I think. and, and, from from a purely uh judging a book by its cover standpoint i just sort of looked at you and how you were dressed and how you presented and i hadn't heard you play yet and i was like oh well this guy's probably like like a rocker you know punk thrasher kind of dude yeah we'll see (laughs) and and then you sat down and played and i was like oh dude's got deep pockets (laughs) i appreciate that (laughs) but it just like i didn't expect that to come out of you for whatever reason like i said just purely based on you know Looking at you for sure. So I I would imagine that your time in Dayton and playing those kind of gigs like was sort of instrumental in In forming your sound and your approach. Yeah heavily. How did like so you're coming you're coming out of aim Um, How did going to a scene like Dayton like were there major contradictions in that scene and what you were expected to do as a drummer from like coming out of school and coming out of that kind of school in particular and sort of the drum curriculum that, because it's a very drummy curriculum, right? Sure. There's there's yeah. not a whole lot of emphasis on playing in ensembles. Right. It's just sort of like monastic drum religion. Exactly. In yeah, that it's kind like of school.
1: One year of just like beating everything they can into your head. <laughs> so, uh, right. you know. Right. So, it you know, that introduced me to a lot of fusion guys and, you know, that kind of thing. So that was cool. But, uh, you know going to Dayton it was completely opposite you know a lot of those guys are just like that's totally outside of their world you know what I mean right. so uh uh it's purely just based off groove and feel and you know right you know I met a lot of really cool guys guys that play with cameo and lakeside and all those players you know uh-huh. Ohio players uh, and uh but yeah it was really cool man it just it really Kind of shifted my attention from, like, what you were saying, just, like, the really drumistic stuff to more just, like, pocket playing.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Did you get yourself in trouble?
1: <laughs> uh, not really, because I've never really been one to, like, try to overplay. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I kind of jumped right in, and they kind of took me under their wing.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like, what, what leads you back to Atlanta? Like, your girlfriend just graduated, and you...
1: Yeah, she graduated, and... uh man it was just time to get out like there's really not anything (laughs) happening up there yeah you know like as cool as it was uh it's really just kind of dried up like Mm -hmm. you know Dayton was like Atlanta is now in the 70s yeah and then uh what was it the uh what company was it that was big up there the car company
0: Oh, like GM Uh, GM. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So they moved. Right.
1: You know, and then the town just kind of dried up. Yeah. I think that happened
0: to a lot of Midwestern Rust Belt towns. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like you're coming back to Atlanta. What do you have a plan coming back here? Do you reconnect with old people? Do you start from scratch again?
1: Yeah, it was kind of like starting from scratch again. Yeah, you know, like, you know, I did reconnect with a few people that I did know. And, uh, like,
0: jumped into a band that i was in before going to ohio right and uh i mean we talk all the time about like moving to a new city and like matriculating into a new scene yeah and you know i've had to do that a few times a lot of people but like you've done it twice by the time you're what 23 24 yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so let's see i came back to atlanta when i was
1: it was 2016 so i guess you know 25 25 ish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something
0: like that. So like did you learn anything like did did your Dayton experience? Uh, affect how you reentered Atlanta in terms of networking in terms of um, Who you seek out to play with in terms of or or is it just fill the schedule like do as much as you can
1: kind of both man Uh You know, I was like I got to be out in the scene. You know what I mean? Because uh, I'll never forget one of the guys that I was playing with up in Ohio. Uh, for some reason, this thing always stuck out to me. I uh, I was playing with this, like, this kind of jazz trio in this restaurant. That was kind of my Friday night gig for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I got with this other band. We were doing more corporate stuff and, like, you know, it was a cover band. Right. But I was doing a lot with them. And uh, I really wasn't too active on social media and, like, you know, when that band kind of slowed down a little bit, I reached back out to the guys that I was playing with that wedding or that uh, jazz trio. And, uh, he was like, yeah, man, uh, I just kind of forgot about you. He was like, you know, (laughs) out of sight, out of mind. Right. And I was like, that kind of hit me heavy. I was like, so I got to be out, you know? So I just started going out to jams. I went to Nick's
0: remember Nick's? Yeah. It, it was, was it Nick's back porch? Yeah. 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 Magical place. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, out so, in like, what was it? What was it? Norcross or something? It's in Marietta. Oh, it's all the way out there. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. why I never went there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but man, that was such a cool place. I mean, it was music seven nights a week, just yeah. a dump of a bar.
0: Totally. Uh, dive.
1: Yeah. But you know, I met Landon there, Landon Jordan. Yeah. And, uh, He was a big part of, like, helping me kind of get out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met a lot of really cool people there. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, everybody on the scene kind of, you know, played there, went there. Yeah. And like I said, Marietta is such a hall from here. You know, I went there once or twice. I think I played a gig there, like, with Rhett Huffman or somebody. But. Uh, but yeah, most nights it was just like, I'm not driving 45 minutes out yep. to <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, at least 45 minutes reminded me of my LA days. Oof. Um, so like, uh, I want to, I want to jump ahead because like you, I mean, you came to, you came back to Atlanta in 2016, which is the same year I moved here Yeah, and, um, you know we both we both sort of like got around worked our way into the scene started doing those corporate gigs started doing those little dive bar gigs um but so then the the pandemic hits and coming out of the pandemic you join this band uh formerly brother yeah. now jet black roses yep um and i like you and i have talked about this a little bit but i like i want to dig into it now because i can't wrap my head around what this band does or is gonna do and, <laughs> and yeah. how they do it. because this is a band with like, I, I can't find them on Spotify. Mm-hmm. There's no records out yet, right? They're not playing any live shows. Mm-hmm. but you've got twenty thousand followers on Instagram. and like it's it's a thing, yeah, somewhere in some way. Yeah. so, um talk about what, so like the the band just recorded a record and signed with,
1: Innovation Music Group in Nashville.
0: And is that a management company or a label or both? Both. Okay. Yeah. So this band has been around for years. This band has been around for like five years. And I've talked with Tyler Cates yep. about like, you know, his various strategies over the years. It just seems like this band has sort of like incubated and all, all this stuff is getting put together behind the scenes and now it's poised to like be out in public in a big way. Yeah. It's,
1: it's really confusing, man. It's, (laughs) it's it's a, it's a really unique situation. So the band before it was called brother was called the van leers. Okay. So, and they were, you know, they had been a band. It was two brothers in Calhoun, Trey and Andrew Bentley, super talented guys, um, really great singers and songwriters. Uh, and they had been doing the Nashville thing for a long time. Like since they were teenagers, Mm -hmm. just going back and forth in Nashville. I think they lived in Nashville for a while had to deal with EMI. And uh, so the Instagram thing, the 20,000 followers, I think that kind of pours pulls over from the uh,
0: the Van Leers days. Okay. Um, and w- was that a band that was like out and about playing, putting out music Yeah. the way most bands do? Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah. So like I said, I think they were with EMI. Don't quote me on that, but uh, that's how Tyler met them. They hired Tyler for a gig up in, I think, Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of just hit it off and, you know, started writing songs. And uh, they changed the name to Brother because the band kind of went in a different musical direction. Um, And then, so fast forward to now, we changed the name to Jet Black Roses because uh, if you go on Spotify or Google and type in Brother, you're going to get 10,000 other bands called Brother. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That was uh, a suggestion by... Um, one of the guys we're working with, Greg Archilla, mm-hmm. he's a uh, mix engineer and producer up in Nashville, mm-hmm. you know, and he's kind of been on our side, our team working with us. And uh, he was he called us one day and was like, hey, you know, before this thing goes any further, <laughs> I just want to point out, have you gone on Spotify and typed in brother or brother <laughs> the band or whatever? Right, right. He's like, there's a thousand things that come up. So, right. yeah. um. Yeah, man, we've got a really extensive catalog. We've got like eighty songs. Yeah, and uh, nothing's out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of been on purpose, man, because it's uh, you know, if you put stuff out independently, a lot of times it just gets lost in the wind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You might get a few hundred plays, a couple thousand plays, or whatever, and then that's it. Right. You know, so they've been working with a guy named uh, Don Perry. Who is, he works at Greenberg, like one of the biggest law firms in the country. Hmm. Um, But he's kind of a music industry, like consigliere kind of guy. Yeah. You know, makes deals between bands and labels and whatnot. Like he works with pretty high level clients, Kanye, Ludacris, and uh, who else? Like he got Luke Combs, his deal. Yep. And uh, so he's kind of been like the advisor, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of
0: telling us what we should do what we shouldn't do how do you how is it that you joined this band because it was in the middle of the pandemic right? yeah
1: yeah um kind of just happened man it was weird uh i'd been working with tyler tyler cates for probably four years before that mm-hmm. um, and we were working on various projects together he would send me music to record on like for different artists that he was producing mm-hmm. and uh Because he's a super dope producer. I don't know if you knew that as well. Yeah, yeah. On top of being a great guitar player, he's also a great producer. Yep. Um, So he just sent me a uh, Dropbox link one day and was like, hey, do you want to put drums on this? And I was like, sure. And I did, and then he sent me another one. Hey, Mm -hmm. you want to put drums on this? I was like, sure. (laughs) I had no idea what was going on because they had another drummer at the time. He was also really dope. Um, I didn't ask any questions, though. but. I guess they kind of had to part ways Uh and he was like you know it kind of just happened that way Mm -hmm. i started recording their stuff and by the time i knew it i'd recorded like 20 songs
0: wow yeah and uh and this is all still remote right like is during the pandemic yeah yeah just from my house right so at at what point uh or, or it like at any point do they come to you and and say like look here's what we're working on we got all this shit in the works uh like are are you in or out <laughs> yeah it
1: was kind of like that it was kind of me going like hey what's the deal like <laughs> am i in the band like, yeah. you know and they were like yeah if you want to be you know i was like yeah i'm totally down because the music's super cool mm-hmm. like you know i say I, that as there's no music out but right, uh, right. just trust me yeah yeah <laughs>
0: no i believe you um, and like, you know, Tyler has described it as like, uh, like Prince and Bowie having a party in space or something like that. Yeah. It, well, that's pretty accurate for what it used to be. Uh, oh, it's changed. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I guess that was more the brother yeah, thing, right? Yeah. So in addition to a new name, Jet Black Roses, there's kind of a new identity musically.
1: Sort of. Um, yeah. So the, the Van Leers, the band, you know, that they had before Tyler, uh, was kind of a country outlaw kind of outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it had some rock elements and some R and B kind of things going on too. But uh, it was kind of based off the country thing. But mm-hmm. and we have a few songs that you could kind of compare to maybe like a modern day version of the Eagles. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we started working with Innovation. Uh, the music group up in Nashville, the guy who manages that, um, his name is Mike Kraske. And uh, also another industry bigwig. He uh, he was at Sony Nashville. He mm-hmm. was like the VP of Sony Nashville for like 20 years. And, uh, you know, he came to us one day when he started working with us and was like, hey, do you guys want to be successful now or later? We're <laughs> like, you know, now. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, cool. So I think you guys should lean more into the, he's like, I don't want you guys to be country, but like kind of lean more into that Eaglesy thing. He's like, because that's very marketable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because it's, you know, based off three-part harmonies, four-part harmonies, things right. like that, you know. Um, He was like, y'all, he's like, every song I've heard is really cool, but he's like, it just it's so vast like every you got things that sound like prince and Bruno mars and you got things that sound like you know whatever else you know so uh he was like you got to kind of pick a lane
0: right 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 and
1: he was like and i think we can really make it happen with this particular lane
0: Mm -hmm. so so what about the band made you okay first of all like you, you ask them kind of like, am I in this band? And they say basically yes. Um, is it are, like, are you getting are you getting paid for these sessions? Is there a, like, are you doing this on spec, kind of pro bono? Um, what, what makes you sort of, and, and what kind of time investment is it? Because you guys are rehearsing a lot. You're recording a lot. Like, what makes you look at this whole situation and say, I want to devote time to this instead of, you know, the other sort of more immediate gigs that are paying cash money right now? Like, what's yeah. that decision process So, like, I,
1: I wasn't sacrificing, you know, any of my money-making gigs mm-hmm. to do it. I was just doing it when I had free time. So I was doing it for free, uh, and really just because I loved the music. It yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Really cool stuff. I enjoyed working on it, you know. Um, I do a lot of sessions at home, for certain people and some of them are just like, man, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Uh,
0: we all do those. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, uh, the music was really cool and, you know, I, you know, i have been working with Tyler for so long and, you know, uh, but yeah, it was really just cause the music was cool. Right. Yeah. And, uh, kind of what they had going on at that time, you know, cause, uh, they had been working with Don, Don Perry mm-hmm. and, uh, Although it was during the pandemic, you know, he was like, just trust me. Right. He's like, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. You know, he's an older guy. He was like, y'all are going to be my swan song. He's like, I'm going to make this happen. He's <laughs> like, uh, y'all can thank me when, uh, you're playing Madison square garden. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, so like this all, all this sort of, you know, preparation, um, and building, uh, culminated recently in, like, you guys going to Nashville and just tracking this. How many songs did you track? Ten. So that's going to be your your EP. Is yeah. that going to be, like, Jet Black Rose's debut, debut EP? Exactly. Okay. So, like, what was what was that recording experience like?
1: It was awesome. Um, so was that Soundstage.
0: Uh-huh. I don't know if you're familiar. I'm not. Uh,
1: so Soundstage is uh, under the umbrella company Black River Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's three studios inside. The there's uh, front stage, backstage, and Ronnie's place. And we recorded at Ronnie's place, which is Ronnie Millsap Studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was awesome, man. We uh, like I said, Greg Archilla was the mix engineer and producer. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another engineer there running Pro Tools and everything. Yeah, Greg yeah. was basically there to, uh, you know,
0: produce. Right. <laughs> and uh run around and be that guy
1: exactly <laughs> and he hired um a few session players we got uh Ilya toshinsky on harmonica uh, no uh acoustic guitar
0: oh okay there's there's a jazz harmonica player also named Ilya. i forgot his last name Okay, just moved here from russia really he and i have a mutual friend uh ty bailey and yeah he's just like a wizard jazz harmonica player but different guy yeah that's (laughs)
1: interesting though because the Ilya tashinsky he's also russian i mean i don't know if you could tell (laughs) Uh, but he was a super cool guy he was kind of like the session director you know um he's also, he was also kind of a producer on the session as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was great. We also got, uh, Rob McNelly.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We've actually interviewed him a long time ago. My partner, Matt in Nashville. Oh, nice. Interviewed Rob. Yeah. Rob
1: was super cool, man. He brought the heat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what he does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, um, another guy, uh, Luke Mosley plays keys. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really cool too man awesome guy awesome player uh, but yeah I mean we tracked everything live we did some overdubs too but you know mm-hmm. mostly it was live yeah, everybody in the room together yeah yeah cool with a scratch vocal so we're actually going back up there today oh wow yeah um, to record
0: vocals for the you know we're going there until Thursday nice yeah nice um, so like you you're tracking 10 songs um, over how many days? So I guess four days. Wow. Yeah. Was that was that exhausting, exhilarating, all of the above?
1: Well, actually, so we were there for four days. We only tracked for two and a half days. <laughs> yeah. It was really quick. It was very exhilarating. It was very exciting. Uh, and it, it was just, I mean, the fastest sessions I've ever done. Wow. It was super quick. Yeah. We had all the songs fleshed out and everything, so we had
0: demos and, uh, you know, rehearsal tapes. Yeah, I mean, you guys have been in the shop together for... A long time yeah. by this point yeah um what did you learn about like sort of on on the macro level about making a record and on the micro level about like recording drums were there any sort of revelations in <laughs>
1: from this experience yeah uh yeah i mean it was eye-opening how they do it in nashville it was super cool you know uh I mean, you can tell those guys just do that every day. That's what they do, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, the most mind-blowing thing to me was watching Ilya chart these songs out while having a full-blown conversation with somebody. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, man, yeah, we went to, you know, we got this for lunch and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And he's charting these songs out and uh, and then just nailed it the first time. Yeesh. It was crazy. Yeah. Um. But... uh sorry what was the second part of your question
0: well just like sort of on a on a more specific drum level like was there anything about how your drums were recorded in that session that was revelatory to you
1: um well uh if we're talking about actually like the recording side uh one really cool thing that i that kind of blew me away was uh when they were micing the drums and uh so we you know did a couple songs and we're in the control room and uh, I'm messing with the faders, you know, and I see that they had two Coles 4032 ribbon mics in the mm-hmm. room. And uh, so I pushed those up a little bit, sounded awesome. And then they had another mic labeled room far. And I was like, what's this? So I pushed it up and it was like, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, this sounds incredible. <laughs> what is this? And he was like, come here, I'll show you. <laughs> and we walked into the middle of the, the live room and he had a 57 just pointed at the wall wow just a regular 57 yeah and i was like that's incredible (laughs) Uh, but yeah
0: that's great so like it was uh how far away from the drums was it
1: uh i don't know probably 12 feet or so i mean not too terribly far right you get phase issues if they're too far
0: right but it was pointed away from the drums just at the wall So,
1: like just capturing the reflections yeah you know. that's,
0: that's a super cool thing. And I've done it in here a little bit, but we did an interview a couple years ago with uh, Grady Saxman, who is uh, like a drummer and, and has his own studio in Nashville. Um, and he talked about that exact thing, where yeah. like, especially if you have a small room, if like you don't need a fancy, you know, stereo mic to get the, he's like, just put a 57 next to your drums, point it away from the drums, put reverb on that, it's a great room sound. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, and even like even in this little room, I've gotten great results with that, and it's so cool to know that in like a big, really nice room, they're doing the same thing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, in a multi million dollar studio, they just slap a fifty seven. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that was really cool. I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to, you know, because yeah. I've experimented in my room. Mine's a similar size to this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but what I'll do is I'll put a room mic out in the hallway.
0: Yeah, I've Sometimes. done that out here,
1: you know, and I've gotten really cool results with that.
0: Yeah, I, man, I'm, I'm such a champion of the, of the 57. I just, I, I think there are some, you know, drummers and engineers out there who are like, man, 57, whatever, but, you know, yeah. I've, I've seen, I've seen it bagged on, on, you know, Reddit or, or whatever else, yeah. but man, like, I, it's just,
1: <laughs> it's, it's such a workhorse, man. Yeah. You can do anything with yeah. a 57. They work on
0: literally anything. Right. And, like, I've put 57s on, on all my Toms. I see, you know, the 421s on Toms yep. all the time. And they sound great. Mm-hmm. But, like, I've watched shootouts and I've recorded with both. And, you know, does does the four twenty one sound different from the 57? Absolutely. Does it sound better? Maybe debatable. Right. Does it sound $300 better? Absolutely not. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm
1: with you, man. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so I actually don't even own a 57. I've been using the uh, Audix mics. Oh yeah,
0: like the uh, i5. The and the, i5, yeah, I have which I think those. is a pretty similar. It's comparable basically mic. a 57. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. So do you know Q Robinson? Yeah, yeah. He got yeah, me yeah. turned on to all those Audix mics. Yeah, he's the man. <laughs> he is out with out with that show right now, man. Yeah, that's a crazy gig. God, I like I'm I'm talking with him kind of often because what he did in terms of like establishing a presence in new york and just sort of pursuing a specific goal yeah of getting on a show like that and just being persistent about it over i don't know three four years and like finally made it happen yeah i'm just like man i want to be you when i grow up yeah that's
1: an awesome gig for him man yeah you know Q is so thorough. He is, uh, (laughs) on top of being an incredible drummer, he's also a guy that can read and do those kind of
0: gigs extremely well. Right. And like run Ableton. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All that shit. Yeah. Um, okay. So is there a, is there a release date for this record that you guys did?
1: Uh, not an official release date. They're shooting for August, Mm -hmm. September at the latest. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the time frame we're looking at. It still got to get mixed and mastered and sure. all that, you know.
0: Yeah. Um I remember uh I did an interview with um who's the guy that does uh Jam Card Elmo Lovano. Oh yeah. Um and the thing I remember from that interview is like if you've got a project, especially if it's a record, like don't don't box yourself in with a release date. Like Get the thing done. Exactly. Get it completely done. Mixed, mastered, artwork, like all that shit, and then say, Okay, when's the release date gonna be? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because if you set it, you know, if you if you set a release date before you even start recording, you're you're just you're screwed. You're gonna have to cut some corner somewhere. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Exactly. So like what is you know, whether whether the release is in August or a little later or a little sooner or whatever, like, is there a plan? Are you guys Booking shows, what's what's the uh, path?
1: So um, they are going to, I believe, introduce us to the people at CAA, the touring agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure what they're planning on doing from there, but you know, those guys have a lot of connections. Yeah. Um, and uh, as far as releasing the music and what they plan on doing with it, I i believe they're gonna just release a couple singles at a time okay i'm not 100 sure yeah uh and i think they're gonna do kind of a media blitz kind of thing before anything gets released right you know kind of that whole thing like like who are these guys right like you know so getting the hype up before mm-hmm. they put the record out
0: so. yeah that's another thing that that uh bands and artists i think have to contend with is like how to release music? Yeah, because I I think there are, there are pros and cons to um, releasing just a full length album and dropping it all at once, um, but also pros and cons to just sort of like doling it out exactly. one or two songs at a time. And I can't like I'm I'm not. Um, versed enough in sort of the media strategy and marketing and all that to really speak intelligently on what those pros and cons are but i know it's there yeah like ruby bell and the Sulphonics are recording a bunch of music right now Mm -hmm. and so we're kind of having this conversation it's also going to be like 10 or 12 songs for sure and we're you know we're kind of like wondering out loud well like we can release like five or six of them as kind of a an EP type, you know, whatever. And then maybe others one at a time. Like we don't know. Yeah. What's like, what's your instinct about that?
1: I don't know, man. Um, Mike Kraski, the guy that I was telling you about that manages that, uh, that label. Um, he was telling us, man, he was like, it's a different time than it was even 10, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. He was like, uh, um, it's kind of, you know, with the age of streaming and all that, uh, singles are kind of where it's at. Yeah. You know, uh, and he's like, and a single will usually get you about, uh, six to eight weeks. <laughs> he was like, that's kind of the mileage you're going to get out of a single. Right. You know? Right. So kind of with a publishing deal, if you've got 10, 15 songs that they can release every six weeks throughout the year, you know what I mean? That kind of covers them and
0: covers us too. Yeah. You know. So like okay, 6 to 8 weeks. I mean, the old <laughs> the the very old model is, you know, you you release an album of 10 or 12 songs and that's going to be the next 2 years of your life. Right. Yeah. Uh and and it's kind of the same it's kind of the same math. It's just partitioned up. Yeah. Right? Like instead of instead of a 10 song album holding the public's attention for a year or two one song is going to hold their attention for six or eight weeks and then another one yeah oh my yeah. god it's so it's so fragmented and weird but i guess that's just how it is a lot yeah right? greg
1: was telling us uh because he he worked with uh a lot of big bands in the 90s and early 2000s he worked mm-hmm. with collective soul and uh matchbox 20 um buck cherry and all those guys yeah he said when he said the first Matchbox record they did, he said they toured that album for like three years. Wow. So.
0: <laughs> yeah? Yeah. And it seems like you guys are, um, you've kind of, you've skipped over the step of, or, you know, the multiple steps of sort of establishing a, a ground level following in yeah. your neighborhood. I mean, this is one thing I'm fascinated about this band is because like, you know, the, the, the typical, um, path for a band. And I think it's still true today. Social media has changed it somewhat, but like you kind of, you know, you get your little following and then you expand a little bit geographically and, and whatever else. And it's just this gradual sort of like getting people in and bringing them along, right? And you guys are skipping over all of that. Like you're going straight to j- sort of these management companies and labels that are super interested in you that are like, holy shit, this band's great. And you're able to just sort of skip to the step of like, make a record, put us on tour. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. So uh, it is very, uh, it's, it's confusing. It's very different, uh, different than any situation I've been a part of, Yeah. but I kind of get it. It makes sense. Uh, and they actually advise us against putting out any music right now mm-hmm. because they're like, we don't want, cause they're, they want to get us with, you know, a major publishing re- uh, label. And they're like, we don't want these guys going on there and seeing you on Spotify with the little, like, uh, 1000 less with than 1000 1, thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that just, it's not a good look. Yeah. He's like, so if we can hype this thing up enough and, uh, and then just kind of put you out there and like blast you everywhere. Yeah. He's like you're going to have a lot better chances.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm so interested to see what happens with you guys because I I it's not that I doubt that it's possible or, you know, these people's intentions or whatever. I've just I've never seen a band do it, but that might not be true. As I'm saying that, I realize like there there might be some bands that I know of that have like taken this path and yeah. and you know, I became aware of them at Uh, at the stage where you guys are about to be right right like i kind of assume every band or every artist spent time just sort of like doing the little local like uh grassroots thing you you hear the stories about john mayer you know
1: just doing all the little in-town gigs and you know uh playing at uh eddie's attic right and all those places um but yeah it's it's different man i'm i still don't know what's gonna happen you know (laughs) right so
0: Like, are, are there any bands or artists that you know of, or that we might know of that have like taken a similar path or are you guys kind of (laughs) breaking the mold or, or Guinea pigs?
1: I'm kind of with you, man. I, I'm sure there are, I just don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe Luke Combs was like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and from talking to Mike, he broke little big town and the Dixie chicks Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think those might have been a similar situation. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, there's something to be said for just like saving your powder to make a big bang. Right. Um, And like, has that, has that influenced how you think about your career trajectory? Like apart from this band, just like Eric Alesworth, the drummer and mm-hmm. whatever brand you have or want to have, like, have, have you, has, has this influenced kind of how you see um, what you say yes to or what you sort of uh, save yourself for
1: well uh, I don't know if this has had a huge influence on that um, but I have learned a lot in the past couple of years of what to say yes and what to say no to mm-hmm. just cuz you get burnout out super quick if you just say yes to everything yep uh, which is what I did when I came back to Atlanta yep I was just saying literally yes to everything you know, mm-hmm. can you do this $50 gig, you know, till two o'clock in the morning? Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think there's a, there's a stage in everyone's career to do that. And for sure. And you know, a, a, a time in your development when that's useful, that's education that's, yeah. and that's money, right? Yeah. That's income that you need, even if it is 50 bucks. Yeah. Um. But, uh, so many people I've been talking to lately and and myself included for sure are just kind of like. Looking around at what's available, what's being offered, and what I'm interested in spending any time at all on. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, man.
1: You know, because it's weird, man. Like, I feel like I'm busier now than I was before the pandemic,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, which I didn't expect. But uh, yeah, like, I've just had to say no to so much stuff lately. Yeah. You know, just because I'm like, I'm a dad now. Yeah. And I'm like, I need
0: some sleep. <laughs> this experience that we've all gone through has has caused us all to like take stock and reprioritize, but I would imagine that's especially true for you because your son was born like was it right at the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah,
1: August of 2020. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That was a lot, man. That was uh That was a big year. <laughs> yeah, super big year, man. Scary situation, just a lot to take in, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. But. So like how how has you know, the fact that, that um, your son's birth and the first couple years of his life have been exactly parallel with the pandemic. Yeah. How has that influenced your just general outlook on your career and his life and your role as a dad, your role as a drummer? Because like I said, I think we've all had this experience, but I'm sure it's it's like amplified for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of really made me look at exactly what i want to do like um i'd rather be home you know and not be on the road so much which i'm not doing a whole lot of road stuff right now but i know i will be Mm -hmm. Um, so just trying to balance it out man you know spend as much time as i can with him and uh still work and uh provide
0: yeah 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 And also, like you said, just, like, get some sleep and take care of yourself and not just bash your head against a wall at at places like Nick's.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a blessing in disguise that that place no longer exists. (laughs) (laughs) Saved a bunch of musicians from themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a a bunch of alive musicians today that might not otherwise be...
0: back to the drumminess of things like what are you working on like what is sort of the next evolution in your playing and your life behind the drums that that you sort of have your eye on
1: man my goal for the last long time is has always been to like play as musically as I can for the situation that I'm in Mm -hmm. you know and not uh not overplay not play for myself you know there's a time and a place for shopping and there's a time and a place for just playing pocket Mm -hmm. you know but uh my main priorities have always been like good time good feel you know and just being musical Mm -hmm. like thinking like a producer more than a drummer i guess you know what i mean yeah you know what sounds does this song call for what kind of feel does this song call for does this song even need drums right you know yeah yeah Uh, yeah that kind of thing so really just uh you know i'm always working on different things drumistic stuff that i'm never going to use uh uh-huh. you know just to kind of keep my brain going and my hands going right but uh yeah you know just really thinking like a producer
0: yeah yeah was this process of making this record like how did how did that sort of feed uh what you're thinking about in that regard
1: it just kind of amplified that you know um It was such a cool situation, man, just being in that environment, you know. I've always loved the studio. Mm -hmm. I'd be in the studio seven days a week if I could. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it just kind of... Just hearing how the session guys approached everything um, and, like, their ideas. like, Like, Rob, man, that guy, he was coming up with the coolest parts just on the spot, like... And I remember talking to my buddy Anthony and uh telling him that we were going into the studio with rob and he was like he's like that guy's a gangster (laughs) he was like he's he's one of those guys that is just going to come in and listen to the song and play the exact right thing for the song every time wow yeah you know what i mean he's like uh he's not going to come in and play for himself and you know just show you what he can do but everything he does is going to be like now you're not going to be able to listen to it and unhear that yeah hear it a different way right it's like it was meant to be there the whole time and that's kind of how i want to be as a as a
0: drummer right you know that's a that's a great sort of thought and perspective and goal um and it kind of goes it kind of overlaps with uh sort of my main project behind the drums lately, which is, um, sort of just distilling my sound into a few things that I really give a shit about and that I can really do well, a, and then B being able to kind of superimpose that identity onto different genres, different styles, different songs. For sure. Um, and like you were talking about, like thinking, thinking like a producer, trying to create parts that you can't unhear. It's like, as soon as you hear it, it's like, Oh yes, this is this song exactly. now. Yeah. And it's been like, since I've been recording in here, um, it, that's, that's been a huge challenge because I don't, I don't tend to, um, make my parts like overly drummy or overly choppy right. or like step on the song in any way. But I do, tend to make my parts too cute by half. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of like maybe not trusting my first instinct and thinking that I have to come up with 50 ways to leave your lover. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly, man. And that's a process. Yeah. Like, uh, I've noticed that about myself. It's like, um, I'll start with one thing and then I'll go to another thing. And then it's really just whittling everything down and so you really just get to the simplest thing that you could think of to play. Right. You know, sometimes literally like a song just needs kick, snare, kick, snare
0: and That's no hi-hat. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You right, know? right. Um, and you, thinking thinking like a producer like enables you to do that. And I, as I'm talking to you, I'm realizing that like, you know, thinking like a drummer and the negative connotations therein, um it it has more to do than it has, uh, it's about more than how many notes you're playing. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, it's easy to watch a guy playing a shitload of notes and just be like, oh, that guy's, he's thinking like a drummer. He's not playing for the song. But if you go the level beyond that, um, what feels good to, to you to play as a drummer, even though it might, it might not be loud. It might not be notey. It might not be complicated, but it just feels good to you. Yeah. That still might not be right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and mean, you got to let go of that. You got to let go of like what feels good to you. And it, like if it feels good on stage, it's not going to work in this little room. 100%. You know, like yeah. a quieter, mellower version of it might work in this little room, but you're not going to have the same sort of physical, tactile, like fuck you yeah, in the groove. Exactly. Thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a whole different thing, man. Live in studio, uh, you kind of have to approach it two different ways. You know. Yeah. And to touch on the like. Drumistic mystic stuff like if you go on my instagram that's really all you're gonna see right. just because like that's what instagram wants to see man it's you know? yeah uh, yeah
0: i'd feed the beast yeah i
1: don't <laughs> i don't generally play like that if i'm playing live or especially in the studio mm-hmm. um that's just you know if you post a video of you just playing pocket nine times out of ten people are gonna be like all right just keep scrolling i won't or well, yeah, I w- <laughs> <of it. laughs>
0: post uh, more pocket videos, Eric. I'll yeah, watch yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I will. <laughs> You'll get one like and one comment, right? From yeah. Zach Elbetta. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> but uh, but also on the you know other side of the coin, sometimes that kind of stuff is called for. Yeah, that's musically appropriate for other situations. Right. You know, if right. you're playing a pop gig. You know, or with those big live arrangements, or yep. if you're playing gospel, or if you're playing, you know, fusion, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, that's appropriate. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get away with just playing pocket on a fusion gig.
0: Right, right. You know, uh, were there any instances in in the process of of making this record where, um, like Ilya or or someone else, had to produce you and say like what you're doing isn't working? Let's figure out something else.
1: A time or two, it was more of just like, hey, Eric, you know, what if you did, um, you know, what if you did a fill going into this section of the song instead of just playing straight through it? Or what if you uh, just laid out on this part, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a couple little things like that. Um, and he was kind of doing that with everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh,
0: but like generally, your approach on the drums to those songs was like uh received well yeah, in that. yeah yeah
1: absolutely um uh you know we got this one song that's kind of got a little bit of a bounce to it you know it's the most r&b sounding one that we have mm-hmm. and uh one of the guys was just like hey man you know uh this song feels really bouncy He was like almost too bouncy he was like why don't you just play just straight kick snare you know like i was just saying right and uh that ended up working out really well yeah so yeah
0: that's another thing about uh whether live or in the studio like i think a, a lot of drummers um feel like they have to make a lot of stuff happen Right. In terms of feel or in terms of rhythmic interpretation or in terms of like actual rhythms and phrases. Yeah. Um, You know, like and and a lot of times you'll end up just sort of like stepping on something or doubling it. Yeah. It's like you don't have to do all this stuff. You don't have to make all this stuff happen. Exactly. Like a lot of it can just happen around you. Like you've got to be the (laughs) you've got to be the voice of reason.
1: That's kind of been, uh, you know, a revelation to me in the last you know, probably four or five years is realizing that you don't have to catch every syncopated hit that the the song's doing, the bass player's doing, you know, uh, sometimes it's too much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times, especially with songs from the eighties, I feel like where, like, I would, I would think of that song and, you know, think of what what is the drum groove to that song? Yeah, and in my mind, it's like 16ths on the hi hat and all kinds of syncopation on, on the kick. And then I'll like actually dig into the song, and it's like, oh, it's none of that. It's super simple. Everything else in the song is doing all that syncopation and all that sixteenth, but l- the drums are just boom, tap. Yeah, boom, like you know,
1: like <laughs> Steve Jordan. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> you
0: know. So we've talked a lot about, um, you know, just sort of your your professional path and the types of gigs. Um, that you've done since you came back to Atlanta, um, but something I'm curious about, like kind of going back, is like who who were your guys? Like who are you listening to coming up? I mean, you you mentioned sort of that formative experience you had in Dayton, yeah, um, and just like getting versed in in pocket playing. But in terms of like your Mount Rushmore, like who who are the guys that that formed you from afar?
1: I had a couple, uh, John Bonham was one I was uh-huh. a huge Led Zeppelin fan in high school still am hmm. um and Vinny Kaliuta interesting I would and I would say and Neil Peart I would say those three guys were like the pinnacle of my you know my influences for a while
0: yeah you know uh, and and interesting. I, I think a lot of drummers would say that like Bonham and those three guys uh are huge influences they are on all of us but like what I know about you and your playing, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have put those two together. Like, Bonham and Cagliuta yeah, in particular. Yeah, I don't particular. play like either of them. I don't play like any of them. But you're you're kind of in the middle of them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really. Uh, you know, like, Vinny is probably, like, the guy for the longest time that I strive to be like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but, you know, you're never going to get there. I'm um, never going to get yeah, there. Yeah, nobody but, is. Uh, <laughs> Only
0: Vinny got there. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, like... So I kind of gave up on that, and I was like, I, you know, I don't play like Vinny. I don't think like Vinny. Yeah. You know, uh, but I admire his playing so much, and, like, there's so many things I've learned from watching him and listening to him and just that I have adopted into my own playing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm also a huge Prince fan. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of those records Prince played drums on. Right. right. And it was super cool stuff. Really simple, you know. uh, I've just always been a fan of, you know, even before I went to Dayton, I was always a fan of funk music and hip-hop and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that that are groove-oriented. Right. You know what I mean? I've just always been in love
0: with 2 and 4. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah, me too. And it's like I've always been in love with it, but I I turned my back on it for a while. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I got into drumming. The, the same way most kids do just fucking rock and roll and yeah. rush and metal and exactly and yep. Carter Beaufort and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then I, I went, I went down a jazz path for about 10 years. Oh wow. Um, and you know, it, it, it took me a while to come back to two and four and just reconnect with the beauty of two and four, <laughs> Yeah, man. um, which I'm doing, uh, definitely a a lot more now and it's part of like i said my whole process of distilling what i give a shit about Uh and turning my drum brain off and turning the producer songwriter brain on for sure um but uh like do you feel you um have kind of been on the same path for a long time like Uh, Do you in terms of your playing in terms of what your goals are on the drums? Do you feel that your goals have changed over the years or or remain somewhat consistent?
1: Uh, Both in some ways like I feel like it seems like every two or three years Like it shifts a little bit Mm -hmm. and I start to go in a little bit different direction, you know, like when I came to Atlanta uh, when I came back to Atlanta and you know started going out to like places like pals pals lounge i don't know if you ever went there i did not where was Um, that it's off of it's like old fourth ward okay yeah 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 so started going there and like apache yeah uh and just seeing all those guys and i was just like holy shit right you know uh jordan hemby devin taylor you know all those guys yeah just Killing it like yeah. the guys doing the big the big pop gigs and the gospel stuff, you know, right
0: and like little John would show up Yeah, and Terry yeah. on gully and yeah, 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 yeah
1: Little John was actually running that jam for a while over at uh, pals. hmm Um, and that's where I met him but uh You know that kind of shifted my attention towards that kind of drumming for a minute,
0: right? You know and I, mean? I see that in you because yeah. like when when you talked about your big influences like obviously Bonham obviously, Neil, obviously Vinny. Yeah. But like, there's, there's some little John and that kind of shit in you as well, for sure. Yeah. I think definitely
1: that's, yeah. Uh, really like Landon kind of introduced me to a lot of those people and, you know, introduced me to that side of the Atlanta music scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time working on that, you know, just kind of really getting into it.
0: Yeah. Just like the gospel thing. Yeah. Yeah how did you how did you spend time working on that just watching those guys man (laughs) Just watching them and listening to them and like you know
1: for a while like i was super nerdy about it i would sit there and transcribe some of this stuff yeah you know yeah uh, and then just work it up and it got to a point where i started recognizing certain phrases and just the vocabulary of that music right and uh it started to get a lot easier to kind of just like hear it and play it right um But,
0: uh, sorry, that's my reminder to feed my dog, which uh, I already, (laughs) which I already did. He's fine. Um, so like, was there a point at which, so you're like, you're getting into all this shit, you're transcribing all this shit. Yeah. Was there a point at which you had to just say, like, I'm, I can't go all the way down this road or I shouldn't go all the way down this road. That's not ultimately the kind of player I am. Like, did you have to pull it back at some point? I did a (laughs) hundred
1: percent. I did.
0: Uh, precisely I did, you know, cause, uh,
1: it's not a hundred percent me. I right. love that. The stuff is super cool, but right. it's like, you know, there are guys that do that way better than me. Yeah. Way better than me. So it's like, you know, I've got a thing that I feel like, you know, I need to capitalize on, mm-hmm. you know? So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: I had the same experience with, with like jazz and, and really straight ahead, hardcore bop. Yeah, in particular, because I, you know, I, I studied that shit in college. Um, I got really good at it. Yeah. Um, And but like, like you, I reached a point where I was like, this, this isn't 100% me yeah. a and there are guys who are just kicking my ass at it. Yeah, right. So like, I had to I had to kind of let go of the idea of just being that hardcore bopper with that vocabulary. Yeah. And I'm it's another thing I'm wrestling with now and maybe you're you're kind of like thinking about the same thing with the gospel thing. It's like how do I how do I engage with jazz? How do I play jazz cuz I still want to and I still love to. Yeah. And I still do. Um but how can I bring like my 100% self to that music and, and not try to, uh, you know, do all the bop shit that I know isn't in me. Like, can I bring my authentic voice to a bebop song and still say something like, uh, valid, if not great in, in, in a group full of beboppers. It's like, can I sit down on the drums and not play all that really hardcore straight ahead, like rudimental kind of bebop shit? Can I do something else? yeah and make it work <laughs> well I think that's interesting too man cause like you know jazz has evolved so much
1: yeah you know and then you've got guys like you know uh, Robert Glasper yeah. and those guys doing what they do which you know is definitely jazz yeah but it's you know they kind of morph the jazz and hip hop thing together and it works really well you know
0: right um
1: you know, I think it's an evolutionary thing. So I definitely think there's room
0: for that. Yeah. 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 Do you think there's room in your playing? Like, can you, can you bring something that, uh, you developed within yourself at Apache cafe or Mm -hmm. like something that you kind of like lifted from little John or Landon or one of those guys? Like, can you figure out a way to bring that as Eric to jet black roses? Like, uh, Yeah. I mean, probably.
1: I just don't think it would work. (laughs) Uh, You know, because when I first started doing some of these records with them, the music was a lot different, but, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there were a few times where, like, I would send Tyler a bounce of what I did, and he'd be like, "Um, that's cool, man. Can you try something different, you know, like on the fills or whatever? Like... Basically, I was just doing too much. Right. You know, I was trying to bring some of that element to it and it just kind of wasn't working. Yeah. Uh, for that kind of music, it's just not really needed. hmm uh, But I also really love playing church gigs. Yeah. Um. You know, I like the CCM stuff, too. Mm-hmm. It's cool. But, like, you know, like playing gospel music. Right. Which I get to do every now and again, which I don't know why they would ever call me, but... <laughs> because <laughs> you're I get, good at it I get called for it sometimes and yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun man I really enjoy doing that stuff yeah um just it's kind of an opportunity for me to open up a little bit mm-hmm. and uh
0: you know be that guy for a minute right right um even though I'm not a bebop player um I I like to think that uh playing jazz for so long and and like learning the style and just sort of versing myself in it um had a bunch of other benefits aside from uh what you actually do on the drums i think the the main benefit that it brought to me was just like a more sensitive musical antenna and just being able to like react to what's going on in the room um I, I think that's like my main takeaway from from playing jazz for so long. Absolutely, and it really has doesn't have much to do with like the actual drumming of it, right? It's just yeah. more about being a musician. Yeah. Um, do you is, is there something you can point to in the way you make music now that that comes from your study of the the gospel thing, even like. Um, what made me think of that was when you said, like, it, it probably wouldn't work for Jet Black Roses, and yeah. obviously that style or those, you know, that kind of a chop or a fill or whatever, is too much. But do you think there's something about the way you make music now,
1: yeah, that so, you can't I mean, apply? You know, I think it's a like a dynamics thing. Yeah, you yeah, know, kind of a level of excitement, you know, uh, that you can bring to a certain song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it is a Up tempo, whatever, you know, you can kind of bring some of that over from the gospel thing, not necessarily playing like that, just, you know, bringing the excitement up.
0: Right. That energy.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, uh,
0: I remember, I think I was talking with, um, Pudge Tribbett, um, and he was talking about gospel music, uh, and, and he was like, gospel music is about a feeling. Yeah. Um, and I never heard anyone put it that way. before, but he said like, it's, it's about a feeling. And and a lot of times it's, it's a spontaneous feeling, right. And just being able to, um, bring a certain kind of energy for what the moment is calling for often like during a church service. Yeah. Right. In
1: a lot of ways, it's like playing jazz. Yeah. Yeah. In, In a lot of ways, because I was actually talking to somebody about this recently. Um, you know, church guys like, I can't tell you how many times I've showed up to a church and, you know, they've given me the songs the week before or whatever, here's what we're playing. And then you show up and they're not playing any of the songs. (laughs) It's totally different. I'm like, yo, I don't know these songs, but like a lot of those guys, they just, that's their world. It's kind of like the jazz world. Like, you know, there's how many standards, you know, and a lot of guys know them all. So we're going to play this tune. We'll play this tune. It's just calling tunes. Yeah. but yeah, it's that way. And they've and
0: ditched they've ditched the sent the set list they sent you because a, a certain feeling is just leading them in a certain direction. A hundred percent, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So I'm over there on my phone, like you know, like this, <laughs> uh, before the service, trying to like figure these hits out and yeah. you know, the the you know just try to get as close as I can. But yeah. uh,
0: um, I think there will be a lot of room for that in your in your live shows with Jet Black Roses. I'd like I'd like to think, because, you know, Tyler is just so open to that kind of thing. For sure, um, yeah. As long as you're still serving the song, obviously. Yeah, but,
1: live is going to be a whole different situation.
0: That's yeah. kind of, you know, where we get to open up and play, you know, just play ball. Right, I mean, have you talked about You know, how your approach is going to change when you play these things live, or are you just going to kind of feel it out? We have like, you know, a few songs where we're like,
1: you know, this would be really cool to do live. Like, we had an idea to do like, you know, a couple little hit things, Mm -hmm. you know, when we were going into the studio. Like let's just save that for live. That seems like more of an, a live arrangement thing, mm-hmm. you know. And like extending certain parts of the song or right. you know, whatever.
0: That's one of those producer things. Like if you're putting those hits on the record, like maybe that that's too cute by half. Right. And yeah. it can just be what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too cute by half. I'm gonna remember that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'm. I'm gonna try. It. I'm always trying to remember it. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well cool man thanks for thanks for coming over it was great talking to you like this is the most we've talked ever yeah by far but I'm 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 really glad we did it yeah me too man. looking forward to seeing what you do with the band man it looks it looks super cool I I hope you guys pop
1: appreciate it man appreciate you having me on
0: there you go thanks to Eric for that talk and be on the lookout for releases and shows by Jet Black Roses in the coming months next week Matt Krause will be talking with our old buddy Hubert Payne Hubert has made numerous appearances on WDP, talking about his career with Little Big Town and also as part of the Black Drummers of Nashville Roundtable episode, but recently he's been doing some work as a performance coach most of the conversations we have here at least touch on the mental and emotional aspects of being a professional musician, but I think this talk is going to really lean into that, and I think Hubert is going to offer a lot of insight and perspective there. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers.